True or false, it's time to clip America's wings, its global superpower wings. Let's have it out. This is a debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. We're at the Skirball Center for the Performing Arts at New York University. I'm John Donvan of ABC News, and this is another debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. Joining me on the stage, two teams of two members each. We have arguing for the motion, Peter Galbraith and Lawrence Korb. Against the motion, Elliot Cohen and Elliot Abrams. I want to remind you, this is a debate. It's a contest. It's a contest of ideas and and argumentation. And you, our audience, will be the judges of this contest. By the time the debate has ended, you will have been asked to vote twice, once before the debate and once again afterwards. On our motion, it's time to clip America's global wings. And the team that has changed the most minds by the end of the debate will be declared our winner. Round one, we have opening statements by each debater in turn. And our first debater up to speak for this motion, Peter Galbraith. He's a former U.S. diplomat. He served as a special deputy representative of the U.N. in Afghanistan. He was the first U.S. ambassador to Croatia. He is currently a Vermont state senator. His entire life has been involved in diplomacy, including a stint as a cabinet member of the transitional government of East Timor, which comes, Peter, with what sorts of perks? Passport? Use of the VIP lounge in Dili International Airport. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Peter Galbraith. It is time to clip America's global wings. America's global ambitions, particularly in the last decade, have far exceeded our capabilities. We do not need to sit here and debate the rights and wrongs, the moral correctness or the lack of correctness of the Iraq war or the Afghanistan war. The fact is, we undertook massive nation-building exercises and we did not succeed. Now, I want to be clear. Larry Korb and I are not isolationists. When I served as the first U.S. ambassador to Croatia, I argued strongly for U.S. airstrikes against the Serbs who were attacking Sarajevo and civilians in Bosnia and Herzegovina. And when those airstrikes took place, they combined with intense diplomacy, they brought a four-year war that had claimed more than 100,000 lives to an end. It was uh, effective. Larry Korb and I support the intervention in Libya, and it is for the same reason that it works, is working in Bosnia. We had allies in Bosnia. The Europeans picked up more than two-thirds of the cost of reconstruction. They're doing much of the heavy lifting in Libya, and we had partners on the ground. In the case of Iraq, we went in, not appreciating the complexities of the government, and in the end, who ended up as the victor? Iran. For eight years, the Ayatollah Khomeini and the clerical government in Iran fought the Iran-Iraq war cost of a half a million Iranian soldiers for the goal of getting rid of Saddam Hussein and of installing in power Dawah and Skiri, two Iranian-supported Shiite parties. They failed. In 2003, the U.S. went in. And who is it that is in power in Iraq? But the Dawah has the prime ministership. Skiri plays a major role. Talk about uh, unintended consequences. In Afghanistan, the United States is embarked on a counterinsurgency. I want to be clear. I thought the operation we took to um, remove the Taliban, drive out, out to try to kill and capture al-Qaeda was, was correct. 
morally justified, endorsed by the UN Security Council. But that mission has now morphed into an exercise aimed at building a central government in a country that has never had a strong central government. So our position is simple. We need to scale back what the United States is doing in the world. Yes, to continue global engagements. Yes, to working with allies. Yes, to being smart. So please join me in supporting the proposition that it is time to clip America's global wings. Thank you, Peter Galbraith. And that's our motion. It's time to clip America's global wings. And here to speak first against the motion, I'd like to introduce Elliot Cohen. He's a professor of strategic studies at the School of Advanced International Studies at Johns Hopkins University. He's a former counselor of the Department of State, former Army Reserve officer, so he's worked with an elite force, a former faculty member at Harvard, so he's worked with a force of elitists. And, um, and, uh, and, and given the fact that you have a son who has done two tours uh, in Iraq, none of this is theoretical for you, is it? Uh, no, it's uh, not theoretical for a lot of people, both here and abroad. Ladies and gentlemen, Elliot Cohen. Well, I can see uh, one of our challenges tonight on the uh, con team is to make it very clear that our opponents stick to what the debate's about. The topic of the debate was not the Iraq war, good idea, bad idea. The topic was not Afghanistan, well-conducted, poorly-conducted. The topic is, should we clip America's global wings? It is a debate about America's role in the world. Now, our colleagues have chosen or have agreed to a metaphor, which is not one that I would have signed up to. When you clip a bird's wings, it can only fly so high or so far. It's not a question of where you try to get the bird to fly. It's what the bird can do. So the question that they will have to address is what capabilities should we give up? What regions of the world no longer matter to us? What issues will we ignore? And what will be the consequences when we do so? Our opponents will and have begun making a number of arguments. Uh, They will argue, they have argued, that uh, this is way too costly. I would just remind the audience of one statistical fact. The United States today spends something on the order of about 5% of gross domestic product on defense, maybe a little bit more. Even with the vast expenses of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, it is not the defense budget that is the cause of our current economic difficulties. Fundamentally, I think the difference comes down to this. Elliot and I believe that the United States is a force for good in the world. That doesn't mean that we won't make mistakes. Of course we will. That is, in many ways, the price of action. In many ways, we've entered a world which is a dangerous and difficult place. I'm not just thinking of issues like nuclear proliferation or global warming. And by the way, it's not clear to me that if you clip America's global wings, why doesn't that uh, cover things like the United States taking the lead on global warming? But beyond that, we live at a time of tremendous movements in human history. In the last decades, hundreds of millions of Chinese have risen out of poverty. That is unambiguously a good thing. It is a good thing that countries like China don't have to worry about famine. But it is also true that the same economic growth that has pulled hundreds of millions of Chinese out of poverty arms a military establishment which acts in support of a foreign policy that claims, among other things, territorial rights to the South and East China Seas, to include the territory of some of our closest allies like Japan. Or let's take the dramatic events of, uh, of recent months, the Arab Spring. 
in many ways, this is a good thing. Uh, it is quite an extraordinary thing to watch, but there's clearly potential for this to go in a number of directions. Our fundamental position is it's in America's interest to act where we can act to guide and shape these events and not to be timid and not to be afraid to exercise the leadership that only the United States can lead. Thank you, Elliot Cohen. So here's where we are. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. Our motion is, it's time to clip America's global wings. I'm John Donvan of ABC News. We have four debaters, two teams of two, finding it out over our motion. And you've heard two opening statements, and now we're going to go on to the third. Lawrence Korb is a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress who served as Assistant Secretary of Defense under the Reagan administration. And Lawrence, I just, you worked for the Reagan administration, but now you're working for a think tank you know, populated by a lot of Clinton guys. Is, is something not adding up in this picture? Or What's not adding up is that the Republican Party has changed tremendously since the days of Reagan. Remember when in the Reagan administration we got into Lebanon, it didn't work, Reagan got out. Ladies and gentlemen, Lawrence Karp. <laughs> My point is that even if you think the United States should be more involved in the world, The problem is, right now, we're broke. We borrow 41 cents of every dollar that the federal government uh, spends. We borrow, to put it another way, $4 billion a day. The beginning of this century, the United States accounted for one-third of the world's gross domestic product. Uh, We spent one-third of what the world spends on military. Here we are today, we account for only one-quarter of the world's gross domestic product, but yet we account for half of the world's military expenditures. Now, remember, at the beginning of this century, we had a budget surplus. You may remember the lockbox and all of those debates back in uh, 2000. Where did we end up at the end of this decade? Not with a surplus of about $5 trillion, but with a deficit of $5 trillion. And then, of course, when the global economic crisis uh, hit, we had to increase the deficit uh, e- even more. Now, the question becomes, how did we get there? Defense played a part. The wars played a part. It wasn't the only part, but I think it's important to keep in mind. You can be for or against the wars in Iraq or, and, and Afghanistan, but the fact of the matter is we went to war and we didn't pay for it. In fact, what we did is we cut taxes. And what happened? The wars cost, the direct cost, a little over a trillion dollars so far. But the indirect cost, as a lot of economists have told us, we'll be paying for a long time. And Joe Stieglitz up here at Columbia Economist estimates it'll cost 3 to $5 trillion. Now, you don't think the deficit's a problem? Admiral Mullen, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, said it's the biggest threat to national security. And he says, unless we get our economic house in order at home, we can't be strong abroad. Now, the question becomes, okay, we have these problems. You know, maybe we should still do a lot more in the world. And again, we're not against involvement, but it has to be selective engagement. You can't deal with uh, every situation. But we've got a lot of challenges at home. We're 15th in reading, 17th in science, 25th in math. These are our, our children. Our infrastructure is falling apart. We're 27th in life expectancy. And basically what we're doing as a country, we're living off our past investments. Now, can you cut defense? Yeah, you sure can. If you take a look at what we're spending on defense and you put it in constant dollars, go back and look at the Cold War average, it was $450 billion. 
Right now, it's $550 billion. How do I know it's too much? Secretary of Defense says $150 billion in inefficiencies. Well, we could take that money and use it to deal with some of the, of, of the problems at, at, at home. We also have to recognize, as a country, that not all problems can be solved, nor can we solve them all. Thank you very much. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S. The motion is, it's time to clip America's global wings. Stay with us. I'm John Donvan, and this is Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. Welcome back to the program. Our motion is it's time to clip America's global wings. And now to speak against the motion, Elliot Abrams. He's a senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations. He served as a deputy national security advisor in charge of Middle Eastern affairs in the George W. Bush administration. He recently commented himself on the Libya situation by saying the great mistake that the Obama White House had made in its foreign policy, in its policy towards uh, Gaddafi was uh, believing that Gaddafi was a normal human being. So, so personality counts. In the big picture? Personality counts because at any given time, there are three or four or ten heads of government around the world who are certifiably insane. Ladies and gentlemen, Elliot Abrams. Thank you. Now, if you're going to clip our wings, and in fact, many of those wings are being clipped, you have to make some assumptions about the world. You have to assume that there will be no war on the Korean Peninsula. You have to assume there will be no war between Israel and Iran. You have to assume absolute stability in Asia despite the rise of China. You have to assume no 9-11 attack on the United States, again, that we wish to respond to. Are you absolutely confident about all of that? Confident enough to reduce American power that in one or two or five or ten years we may need? Now, we have been spreading our wings for some decades, as Elliot mentioned. The world is a better place for it. Peter mentioned some of the places where it is a better place. Bosnia was, I think, the example he used. Take a look at Asia today. It's an interesting thing. You don't hear the South Koreans, the Taiwanese, the Vietnamese, the Singaporeans, the Indians saying, hey, it's time to clip your global wings because they're afraid of China. Look at Vietnam. Some of you will remember the Cameron Bay naval base that we had during the Vietnam War. Now, The government of Vietnam has asked us to come back. Their defense minister is quoted as saying, this port should be a fuel stop for aircraft carriers. Well, they don't have any aircraft carriers. He means our aircraft carriers, that they want stopping there to counterbalance China. Now the finances. We have to cut the military budget because we're broke. Bill Clinton's budget director, Alice Rivlin, wrote, quote, defense spending is not a cause of the growing projected deficits. It's the entitlement programs that drive future spending up faster than GDP can grow. Clinton, budget director. The defense budget has been falling as a percentage of GDP for decades. It's falling under 4% now. It is scheduled in the next five years to go under 3%. So what's the argument they're making? Really, it's ideological. American power is bad. Well, That's not exactly the argument. Peter tells us American power in Bosnia was good. So I guess what it comes down to is this. When is American power bad and when is American power good? Just ask them. And they'll tell you where we need to intervene and where we don't. It doesn't work. If the United States is going to reduce our 
global wings, if we're going to reduce our power, we're going to put ourselves in a situation where we cannot do what we need to do around the globe. Now, who benefits from this? Who benefits if there are more Srebrenica's and Darfur's and Rwanda's? The answer is people like Gaddafi and Milosevic and Bashar al-Assad and Saddam Hussein. They benefit. We do not, and the people who depend on us and our power for their safety in a very dangerous world, 300 million Americans and hundreds of millions more around the globe, will lose. If we're to be safe and if the world is to be safe, those global wings need to be strong. Thank you. Thank you, Elliot Abrams. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared debate where our motion is it's time to clip America's global wings. Now, we want to have you keep in mind how you voted again at the beginning of the evening because at the end of the arguments, we're going to have you vote again, and the team that has changed the most minds will be declared our winner. Now on to round two, where the debaters address each other directly, and they also answer questions from the audience and from me. We have two teams of two here at New York University's Skirball Center for the Performing Arts. We have Peter Galbraith and Lawrence Korb, who are arguing for the motion. It's time to clip America's global wings. They have, they've been making the argument that America is drastically overreaching. It's essentially a pragmatic argument that we cannot afford to overreach much longer. Their opponents, Elliot Cohen and Elliot Abrams, are making somewhat more of a moral argument. They're saying that the U.S. has always been a global power, and when it has chosen not to be so, somebody usually ends up paying in the end. I want to put to the, to the team that's arguing for the motion. Now, your, your opponents are essentially saying, if we can be involved globally, if we can, we should. Your argument is more, we can't, so we shouldn't. Peter Galbraith. I'm, I'm looking for the elephant here, the elephant in the room, because we just had a discussion from the opponents of this motion that didn't discuss Iraq and Afghanistan, which are the two major projections of American power, the two major expenditures in this millennium, okay, this century, if we want to be, don't want to be too ambitious. The problem with them is that they, they have ended up weakening the United States. Uh, certainly the Iraq War caused America's prestige, which was sky high after Bosnia and Kosovo, to collapse. Turkey, we went from an 80% approval rating to a 6% approval rating in the second largest country uh, in NATO. Uh, we have ended up empowering Iran. They were bitter enemies. But Peter, then. are you arguing the principle is the issue or the execution it, it is, is the issue? It is, it, it is the execution. Uh, it is that we try to do things that we can't do. We tried to but remake But your opponents it. are making an argument about principle. Well, the, uh, look, this is the George Bush administration. What they represent is probably the most ambitious, idealistic American administration. But they didn't succeed. Okay. It can't let, work. Let me have one of the Elliot's uh, come in. Elliot if Cohen. you notice, we didn't talk about Iraq. That was not the topic that was given. And in fact, I think you can think that the Iraq war was a stupid idea, as Barack Obama does, and still think that this is a bad idea. Yeah, but how bad an idea could it have been? Okay. You supported it, sir, in 2003. So you don't have to You're be pointing to Lawrence Corb. I'm pointing, oh, okay. No, I'm pointing to Peter Galbraith. Peter Galbraith. Well, let me say something here. Gal- let me say so something. What, which what's I th- the argument? What we're talking about here 
is, and you mentioned my Republican things, the way the Republicans always looked at cost benefits. You want to quote someone? Let me quote one of your colleagues, Fukuyama, okay, who wrote the book The End of History and talked about. He's not a Republican, by the way. He was and neither am I, support, actually, for the record. Supporters of the war. But, you know, Frank said, and he supported the war, but he said, you know, if you were told the American people in 2003, we're going to go to war in Iraq, and we're going to have almost 5,000 Americans die, you know, 30 to 40,000 wounded, hundreds of thousands of Iraqis die, spend over a trillion dollars so Iraq could have an election, you'd have been laughed out of the ballpark. You've got to have select. I remember growing up in New York City at the time of the Polish and Hungarian revolutions. And you had a lot of people from Eastern Europe here. And basically, they wanted the United States to do something. How can you stand by? I remember pictures of Cardinal Mazzenti, you know, on the head of the the Daily News. we got to do something. No, Eisenhower made a calculation. When they wanted him to bail out the French at the NBN Foo, General Ridgway came to him and said, hey, here's the cost. He said, forget it. Go, Beetle Smith, go to, uh, All right. you know, Paris. So let me go to the other side. What, what you're hearing just... is an argument that lots of times the U.S. has chosen not to get involved because well, sure. of the cost. Look, Co- I am not, Abrams. Uh, one of the causes in the world that I really care about a lot is uh, Tibet. I'm not urging us to go to war with China over Tibet. We can't, can't do it. It would be foolish. But Peter in 2003 supported the war for the right reasons. I mean, morally, what he said was... He thought there would be just massacres in Kurdistan and there would be massacres of the Shia, as indeed there had already been. Those are, I think, morally compelling arguments for why we did what we did. And we avoided those massacres. And in fact, the Kurds are doing very well now. And there is a Shia majority government, democratic government in Iraq. I also don't accept the view that the Iraq war has been lost. Uh, it wasn't lost in 2007. It wasn't when you said it was. It wasn't lost in 2008 or 2009. is isn't lost now, it may be too soon to say, but I just don't understand how you can say, uh, no, it, was, it would have been right to, to just let the, the Kurds and the Shia be slaughtered by Saddam Hussein. And by the way, by the way just... Well, uh, let me let, let Peter Galbraith apply directly to that because you, you worked with the Kurds. What about that? Well, there, there's no doubt that the people, uh, the peoples of Iraq, because there isn't such a thing as an Iraqi nation, but that the peoples of Iraq, 80% of whom are either Kurds or Shiites, have emerged much better off. Possibly if we'd gone in, gotten rid of Saddam Hussein, and gotten out, if we hadn't undertaken the Bremer multi-billion dollar occupation where we had people, sent young people in there with no experience to run the Iraqi budget to draw the traffic plans for Baghdad. Uh, you know, but if we'd gotten rid of Saddam, gotten out, it might have been a rather different history. But you you cannot say that this was worth nearly a trillion dollars. So let me me get this straight. If we invade Iraq, we depose Saddam Hussein and leave, that's an America whose global wings have been clipped, which is a good thing. Look, there's a lot of evil in the world. And you have to decide whether the potential benefits are worth the cost that you have to pay. And that's why if you had told the American people that in the beginning, regardless of the outcome, you never would have gotten support. Here's the problem with that. First of all, you guys disagree about Iraq. Because Peter correctly, in my view, said, you know, if we had been able to go in, depose Saddam Hussein, save the Kurds and the Shia, and and then, in your view, get out, that would have been worth doing. Now, how in hell do you go into Iraq 
and depose Saddam Hussein in three weeks with your clipped wings. You can't do it. You need to maintain the military that Larry doesn't want us to maintain wait, in wait, order wait to achieve second. exactly wait, Larry, that goal. Wait. We went in with okay, Bill Larry, Clinton's Larry military, the one you said he wasn't big enough. It wasn't Bush's military. It was John Kerry, I'm sorry. And we were spending on defense, okay, about half on the baseline of what we're spending now, and we marched to Baghdad Could, in could I make a request in this debate that this not become Republican-Democrat and, and that, that, old, that old shape? Okay, not not to say that not to say that the wars we're talking about are not material, but I don't want to go down that old ground. I think we're talking about something fairly fairly important here, and I think we are talking about principles. And it, it does sound to me as though these two sides agree on the broad principle that the U.S. has a role in the world, wants to try to influence events. And I'm beginning to wonder where the essential disagreement really is, unless you're saying it just costs too much on this side and on on your side. I'm not sure what your comeback is to that. It doesn't cost too much. The fact is that uh, the, the percentage of GDP that we are spending on defense continues to decline. What is going up in this country, and I think everybody here knows it, is entitlement spending, and that is what has tied the Congress in knots. We are not broke because of the military budget. If we had unlimited resources, would that mean to the side that's arguing for clipping America's wings, carrying your argument out that our limitation is financial only, if we didn't have that limitation, would you be for doing all kinds of zany stuff out there? Well, Afghanistan, Afghanistan is the perfect case in point. In Afghanistan, we have 100,000 troops, $117 billion committed to a strategy which cannot work because the essential element for success, which is an Afghan partner, does not exist. And yet I suspect they would continue this. Uh, Well, why don't we put it to them? Yeah, good question. I mean, how do you make a counterinsurgency work when you don't have a partner? First, I wouldn't say that we don't have a partner. I mean, we have a weak partner. If we had a strong partner, there wouldn't be an insurgency because these things are basically about governance. And do I think we're going to be there for a long time? Yes. Do I think we had any choice about going in there? No. Remember, this, is the, this was the good war. This was the war that everybody, I dare say, including both of you, were in favor of in 2001. Now, we can argue back and forth about... Did we do the smart thing? Did we do the stupid thing? Should we have backed somebody other than Karzai? Should we, should we have organized that place differently? Should we have had different ambassadors? That's not the point. The point is this proposition about clipping America's global wings. By the way, I cannot imagine Ronald Reagan ever signing up for that sort of proposition. All right, let me go to some questions. And, um, uh, but please go ahead. Yes, I have a question for Mr. Abrams. Don't the law, doesn't the law of un- unintended consequences rear its head? For example, in Somalia, we went in to restore order, and we wound up with Black Hawk Down and the troops being dragged through the street. You know, we uh, funded the Mujahideen in Afghanistan. That turned out to be al-Qaeda. Rwanda, you had two African tribes ha- hacking each other up with machetes. Do you really want to send American troops into these places when it, ter- they, it backfires to our detriment? And do you think those were overreaches of power? Well, obviously, you have to basically you judge uh, a situation by what happened, by the consequences, not by what was intended. All right. Elliot Abrams. The question of unintended consequences is a very important question. And you can cite a number of examples where we, for over 50 years, where we did something wrong or foolishly or incompetently. But, you know, I, I take Rwanda, your example. Um, there are hundreds of thousands of dead people in Rwanda because we did nothing. And Bill Clinton has said, he, it is the greatest regret he has said about his presidency, 
that he did nothing to stop it. Now, the repertoire is large and doesn't only include sending in the Marines. We have no Marines in Libya. But we are intervening in a way that is meant to do some good. I mean, I guess the argument is, yes, you need to be very careful whenever you commit American troops. You need to be very careful even if you're not committing American troops. You're committing American prestige and money. But I don't think that can be an argument for inaction. It can't be an argument for saying, we don't really know what's going to happen tomorrow in Srebrenica. Let's not go in. Peter Galbraith, you want to follow on that as an opponent? Well, I think the, the question of, of uh, the Mujahideen in Afghanistan is a, a very good one because we simply allowed the Pakistani dictator, Zia-ul-Haq, under the Reagan administration, to decide who to fund. And he funded the most extreme elements. And we are now living with the, with the consequences of that. Uh, let me just go to the far side here. Yeah, hi. Um, I think to the point, I, I don't know if, if the story is true, but I've heard that uh, Benjamin Franklin apparently wanted the turkey to be our national bird. Um, but we chose instead the eagle, uh, a bird with strong wings. And I think the argument can be made that America without strong wings is simply not America. You think it's an identity okay. issue, literally? I think, I think it, it has to do with who we are and why we're here. But can you really argue that America should, should clip its wings as, a, as opposed to simply being smarter and more efficient about how we use Lawrence them? Lawrence Corp. And, and, and that's such a great question. And don't, don't miss it, Okay. <laughs> Uh, since you uh, use the metaphor here, there's a great book written by a professor here at this wonderful university, Peter Beinart. It's called The Icarus Syndrome. And he said, throughout our history, we get carried away thinking that because of who we are, we can solve all the world's problems. And he goes back and he talks about Vietnam, where we went in, we thought the domino theory, you know, and all of that, you know, type of thing. Found out we even when our economy was much better, we still could not achieve the objective that we want. And that's what you use the term. You've got to be smart about it. There are certain things you've got to do. Other things you realize that they're beyond your capacity. And I think that's the key thing. You know, we talk about the fact that defense had nothing to do with it. No, we added $2 trillion to the deficit in the last decade because of actions that happened from 2001 to 2008. Okay? If we had that, those $2 trillion, the other problems would, uh, you know, not be, as, not be as bad. Okay? And so that's the point, uh, you know, All right, I'm let's making. hear from uh, your opponents on this topic. Ellie Just on the, uh, on the eagle. Um, the National Seal has uh, the eagle clutching arrows and olive branches. And originally, the uh, eagle pointed at the arrows. And uh, Harry Truman welcomed Winston Churchill to the White House. And he very proudly pointed to him that he had redesigned the seal so the eagle's head looked at the olive branches. And Churchill said a wise thing. He said, you know, my view is the eagle's head should be mounted on a swivel. So it, it can look either at the olive branch or at the arrows as is necessary. And he didn't say anything about clipping the damn bird's wings. Thank you, sir, for the question. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. Four panelists are arguing for and against this motion. It's time to clip America's global wings. Stay with us. Our motion is it's time to clip America's global wings. This is a debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan of ABC News. We have two debaters, two teams of two debating this motion. It's time to clip America's global wings. We are taking questions from the audience. 
Question. The side in favor of the resolution has talked about a lot of uh, interventions in retrospect and the cost and how we have allies that aren't accountable or are corrupt. And I want to know from both sides what criteria you think the American public ought to use right now to determine which interventions are acceptable and which ones are not. What are the rules, in other words? Can you, I'd, like to ask you, I'd like to ask you each to answer this excellent question, but in a, in a uh, bullet format. Um, I'd just like to hear your list from each side. And I know that, Peter, you actually touched on some of it earlier. Uh, first, I think w- when we intervene, it's very important that we, that we operate with the vision of the people on whose behalf we are intervening, not ours. I think that's my main critique of what we've done in Iraq and Afghanistan. Why did we want to disassemble Kurdistan and Iraq? It worked. Second, and what, what else? defer to the judgment of others, including in the international community, the UN, our allies. Don't go it alone. Finally, I would um, take account of the costs and, and the benefits. Now to this side. Yeah, um, I th- that Elliot is an excellent Cohen. question. Um, first thing, I think, when you're talking about the use of force, it, the question is always, are we going to avoid something worse? Using force is a terrible thing. You're going to kill innocent civilians. You're going to make mistakes. You'll probably get some of your own people killed. Are you going to avoid something worse? That's really the fundamental reason why we we do go to war and we should go to war. Is this doable as far as we can guess? And it is a guess. And is it in our broader interests as Americans? From From the very founding of this country, we're caught between the tension between the same kind of interests that other countries have and our ideals. That's what it is to be an American. But above all, at the end of it, don't, don't think that any of us can come up with a set of rules which we can you know, give you, and that's a sort of a decision-making guide that any president can take with him or her no, uh, to make No, but the question did reveal a great deal about how the two sides think, and I thank you for it, and I want to take it one step further. I want you to respond to the list that you heard over there, and, and do you have any disagreement with it? Okay. Thanks. I have a very quick list. Multilateral if you can, unilateral only if you must. And I think that's what you have to do. And you have to basically a- ask yourself that question and, and the same thing in terms of, well, you can't know exactly ahead of time, but you can do a pretty good idea of the cost and, and, the, and the benefits and recognize that you don't just use the military to solve all these problems. Okay, so that's your list. What's your response to what you heard from the other side? I, my, my response to them is, Basically, if you take a look at a lot of the operations we do, they haven't done that ahead of time in terms of the cost and the benefits. Guilty? (laughs) Elliot Cohen. I've sat in NSC meetings, and I know, first, that presidents take these issues very, very seriously, particularly when they're committing American lives. That was true of George W. Bush. It's true of Barack Obama. It was true of Bill Clinton. I also know that none of these decisions are easy. They don't get to that level if they were easy. And so there are always going to be – there's going to be an element of guesswork and an element of risk. The other thing, by the way, is we, we have really focused, because this is the preoccupation of the other team, on these high-end interventions. There are other kinds of things. Let's talk about the Sudan peace process. Let's talk about what's been really quite a tremendous success in Colombia, which has been an exercise of American power in many dimensions – including the non-military. This is not a debate about American military power. It's America's global wings, and those wings include a lot of non-military elements, which have been tremendously successful. Man in the blue shirt, you've been very patient. 
I grew up as a child in Africa, uh, surrounded on one side by Cubans and on another side by Russians who were spreading their wings. And the one safe thing we always felt they, as children was we had the United States and we were enfolded within its wings. What would you feel if we clipped the wings, China now spreading its wings, and you now clip your wings, how secure would everybody feel? All right, I want to take that question to the side that's arguing for clipping America's global wings. Let me go. I I think you raise a great point. China is gaining because we're bogged down in Afghanistan. They would love us to be there forever, keep spending all of this money and help their um, foreign policy objectives. They're a free rider in the Middle East, okay? We're doing it all. What's China doing? Sitting back and, and taking advantage of it. So I think our point is that you know, when you say clip your wings, you've got to work with the rest of the community. We can't have too many free riders. Sir, can you rise again? I just want to ask you about your response to the response. I still, I feel that China has got such great ambitions, and they're now growing their military, which was on, on TV just the other day, that to send a message that America is going to start clipping its wings is going to encourage them to go into places they wouldn't normally even think of going to. All right, let me come to the other side. A couple of, uh, a couple of uh, months ago, I had 10 days in uh, Japan before the, uh, the awful events of the tsunami and the reactor incident. And uh, the main thing we were talking about, uh, particularly with uh, defense and foreign policy people, are these little islands called the Senkakus, which have been Japanese territory for a very, very long time. The Chinese have a claim. And, of course, it's not so much that they care about the islands, they care about the territorial waters and so forth. And the Japanese are under a lot of pressure, and they are actually quite fearful about the possibility of a Chinese grab for those islands. Uh, Japanese do not, then, most certainly did not want to see America's global wings clipped. And I assure you that today they want it even less. When 18,000 American servicemen and women, 22 warships of the United States Navy, are helping that country deal with the worst catastrophe that it's faced since World War II, and a good thing. Peter Galbraith, do you want to respond to that? The, the problem is that uh, national security resources, money, troops, are not unlimited. And so you, you have to make choices. And if you make choices to deploy them in Afghanistan, those resources are not available to deal with other threats or other national security issues be it China, be it North Korea, be it Iran. Um, Sir, uh, yep. Yeah, hi, uh, thank you. Thank you all for being here. Just uh, thought to myself, geez, the last 50 years we've borrowed a lot of money to kill people in wars, and here we are in 2011 and we're borrowing money to keep our own people alive here in the U.S. It's crazy. In any case, I believe that we can clip our wings in defense, but we can expand our wings in technology, alternative energy. Let's expand our wings with new entities, new enterprise, and move away from this consistent defense increase year over year. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, Peter Galbraith. Well, I I think you you, you make actually quite an important point, which is that we've had this go-it-alone policy in the world and the end result has been diminishing, diminishing America's influence in the world. The, one of the ideas of, of, of not doing these kinds of things, being selective, uh, having a sensible defense budget, is we might actually be able to devote resources in ways that would increase our influence in the world. 
You know, we were totally isolated on the issue of global warming. Everybody else recognizes this is a problem, uh, but the previous administration didn't. You know, we didn't need to pull out of Kyoto. We could have consulted. Uh, and there are all sorts of other issues, free flow of technology, things that are very much in our interest where if we go it alone, other people aren't just aren't going to go along with An us. interesting point that you bring up, I want to bring to the other side, that you're, you're arguing that the expansion, let's say the opposite of clipping wings, the, the uh, laissez-faire attitude towards wings, <laughs> leaving the wings alone, they're, they're actually, actually saying that your argument for power actually might reduce American influence and power. Uh, a weaker American military is going to hurt the influence of this country. Another thing that's going to hurt the influence of this country is if we are fiscally irresponsible and we are broke and we are borrowing billions and billions of dollars. But I don't know what else I can do except to quote all those wonderful Clinton officials who say it isn't the military budget that is exploding. It is the entitlements that are exploding. Nobody wants to hear that, but it's a fact. Another question? Uh, My question is, if we clip America's wings, how do we combat radical Islam? And if we expand our global wings, how do we combat radical Islam? Because we, you know. Uh, First to the side, for more modest policy. You're going to confront these violent extremists basically not by killing them. Rumsfeld said you can't kill all the terrorists. Basically what you have to do is undermine their narrative. And by going into Iraq which turned out to be, for the wrong reasons, you enhance the al-Qaeda narrative. And so I think what we have to do is live up to our values at home, and that will help. I mean, Peter was talking about the fact that the American opinion around the world has gone up. That's important. That's how you're going to – you're not going to be able to, to, you know, to kill them all. You have to undermine their their narrative. Take it to the other side. I very much believe in American soft power. That's – what we should be exercising to the best we can in places that are likely to be the incubators of, uh, of radical Islam. That means being more involved in places like Indonesia, to take just one case, rather than less. I mean, again, let's remember what this proposition is about. This is not a debate about the use of military power. It's about America's global role. I would just add here, uh, you know, living up to our ideals at home is not going to end the threat of Islamic extremism. One of our ideals at home is equality for women. And the more we live up to that, the more they're going to hate us because they don't believe in it. So that is not a solution. I think that what is happening now in the Middle East with the Arab revolts is just killing al-Qaeda because we see what people in those countries want. They want democracy. They want free elections. They want an end to censorship and the secret police. And al-Qaeda isn't even addressing any of those things. So the expansion of democracy in the Arab world is one of the best things we can do to fight al-Qaeda. And that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. And here's where we are. You are about to hear brief closing statements from each debater in turn. They will be two minutes each. And remember, you voted before the debate on your view on this motion, and we're going to ask you to vote once again afterwards. This is their last chance to try to change your minds. Round three, closing statements by each debater in turn. Our motion is, it's time to clip America's global wings. And here to summarize his position against the motion, Elliot Cohen, professor at the School of Advanced International Studies at Johns Hopkins University and former counselor at the Department of State. You know, you can't assess these things as if there are some sort of scientific truth. They're not. But let me offer 
one way of thinking about it and one way of formulating your judgments. Who in the world would be likely to vote for this resolution? Who would be likely to vote against it? So here are some of the people in my list who would vote for it. I think Vladimir Putin would vote for it. I think Kim Jong-il would vote for it. I think Mr. Chavez in Venezuela would vote for it. And I think, I am sure, President Ahmadinejad would vote for it. (laughs) Who would vote against it? Prime Minister Salam Fayyad of the Palestinian Authority and Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu of Israel. Aung San Suu Kyi in Burma. And I suspect the Dalai Lama. The Kurds, the Kosovars, the Bosniaks, the people of Japan, of Australia, Colombia, Darfur. I know which group of people I'd rather be with. Thank you. Elliot Cohen speaking against the motion, which is it's time to clip America's global wings. And here to summarize his position for the motion, Peter Galbraith, a former U.S. diplomat who served as deputy special representative of the U.N. in Afghanistan and was the first U.S. ambassador to Croatia. This world, it's not all about us. What's happening in the Middle East is not because they sat down and they read Jefferson or the, or the Federalist Papers. It is an indigenous movement of people in uh, the Arab world, and it's terrific. But we have the potential by intervening, as we did in Iraq with an expansive nation-building exercise, as we've done in, in, in Afghanistan, as we're still doing, try and build a central government where none has existed, uh, of undermining our credibility, of, of wasting our resources. We have to remember that military power is not the end-all and be-all of power. Power is a lot of things. Influence doesn't always come at the point of a gun. It may relate to your prestige. In 2000, America's prestige was sky high, again, after Bosnia, Kosovo, and East Timor. We exercised a lot of military power in in this last decade, and by the end of the previous administration, our power and our influence in the world, our ability to make things happen, was rock bottom. We're climbing back, but it's awfully slow. Thank you, Peter Galbraith. Our motion is, it's time to clip America's global wings. And here to summarize his position against the motion, Elliot Abrams, a senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations who served as Deputy National Security Advisor in the George W. Bush administration. My argument uh, in closing has been summarized by someone else. I just want to read five sentences. There will be times when our safety is not directly threatened, but our interests and values are. Sometimes the course of history poses challenges that threaten our common humanity and our common security, responding to natural disasters, preventing genocide, keeping the peace, ensuring regional security, maintaining the flow of commerce. These may not be America's problems alone, but they are important to us. They are problems worth solving. And in these circumstances, we know that the United States, as the world's most powerful nation, will often be called upon to help. That's President Obama, and he's right. If we're to be safe, if we're to be free, we really can't escape the world as it is. We cannot escape the need to have and sometimes to use military power. On the wings that you're being asked to uh, clip ride the hopes of hundreds of millions of Americans and many more people all over the globe, hopes for freedom and security, hopes for a better future for the sake of those people for the sake of their freedom as well as ours. Reject this proposition. Don't clip the eagle's wings. Thank you. Elliot Abrams. 
And our motion is, it's time to clip America's global wings. And here to summarize his position for the motion, our final speaker, Lawrence Korb. Lawrence Korb, a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress, who served as Assistant Secretary of Defense during the Reagan administration. Maybe I'm missing something here, but we should encourage people who live in those lands, he asked about nation building, to build their own nations. George Bush, 2000, when he was running for president. You remember the humble foreign policy? That's the point we're trying to make. And what we're opposed to by clipping the wings is to get over these reckless military adventures that we've undertaken in the first part of this this century, something we hadn't really done since Vietnam. And let me conclude with this. You've heard all the apocalyptic scenarios. I remember when people said, if you got out of Vietnam, all oh, Southeast Asia and communism and all that kind of stuff. Elliot mentioned we're going back to Cameron Bay. I spent a little bit of time there, you know, about 40 years ago. Why are we going back? This is the people that we basically recognized we could not make them what we would like them to be. But they're doing okay now. And I think that's the point we, we want to make. But look inside all your clothes and things like that. Go, to, go down to Nike and find out where your running shoes are made. That turned out pretty well, even though we clipped our wings back in the 70s. Lawrence Corp, thank you very much. And that concludes closing statements. And now it's time to learn which side you, our live audience, believes has argued best. Our motion is it's time to clip America's global wings. Here is how you voted before the debate. On the motion, it's time to clip America's global wings. Before the debate, 37% were for the motion, 26% against, 37% undecided. After the debate, 47% are for the motion. That's up 10%. 44% are against. That is up 18%. And 9% are undecided. That means the team arguing against the motion, it's time to clip America's global wings, has won this debate. Our congratulations to them. Thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, presented by the Rosencrantz Foundation, was held at New York University's Skirball Center for the Performing Arts. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Dana Wolf is the executive producer. Maureen McMurray and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. And I'm your host, John Donvan. And become a fan of Intelligence Squared U.S. on Facebook. Sign up and receive 15% off tickets to our live events. Just go to www.facebook.com forward slash think2twice. You can also follow us on Twitter at IQ2US. Intelligence Squared is distributed by NPR.